Do you feel like you need God's encouragement and wisdom throughout the week to take hold of His promise to fly like an eagle? You come to the right place. Welcome to Eagles on the Hill. Let's join our host, Pastor Jeff Scheich. All right, people, I am your host, Pastor Jeff Scheich. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the podcast. We want to encourage you to be sharing the podcast with friends. They can find it wherever they listen to podcasts or on YouTube. And on YouTube, oftentimes we have additional features, pictures, those sorts of things uh, to enhance that viewing experience. So I encourage you to search for Eagles on the Hill on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're going to talk about a uh Significant day in the life of the church, January the 6th, the 12th day of Christmas. The 12th day of Christmas is Epiphany. We celebrate the visit of the Magi to see the child Jesus. And uh, so we want to talk about that today. I want to encourage you, uh, if this year perhaps you've put away Christmas decorations, uh, put away the tree, uh, gotten, uh, gotten all that behind you before January 6th to maybe have a different practice next year, to keep out the Christmas tree, keep out those decorations. Uh, don't get into the dead of winter too early, but keep them out all the way through January 6th because Christmas traditionally has 12 days. And that's the song, the 12 days of Christmas. And on the 12th day of Christmas is when we celebrate that visit of the Magi. So we're going to talk about that today because there's a lot of misconceptions. Many of the misconceptions about what happened when the Magi visited are found in a particular song that may be familiar to you. Check it out. All right. Well, that's that's the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. So, well, how does that song lead us astray? <clears throat> well, first of all, uh, we don't know if there was three. Um, there's three gifts, so thus the tradition of three kings. Uh, but uh, we don't know how many uh, people there were. They weren't kings, so we don't know if there was three. They weren't kings, and also they weren't from the Orient. So other than that, it's a great song and very instructive. <laughs> we three kings of Orient are. None of that. Uh, one, we don't know, and the other two things, the kings in the Orient, we know are not true. So, um, well, let's learn about what happened there and uh, some interesting behind-the-scenes details uh, about this uh, story, shall we? First, let's begin by reading the story so we know what the Scripture has to say. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, from not kings, Magi, from the east, not the Orient, came to Jerusalem. And we'll talk about where that is later. But Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So uh, there you have the uh, the story from the scriptures. And um, well, let's dig into it and see um, what we can learn about it. All right. So first, the, the intriguing thing in the story is the star that um, either the translation is they saw the star when it rose or they saw the star in the east. Of course, stars rise in the east. So um, one of those things is the case. And uh, they follow this star to Jerusalem, which, of course, if you're going to find a king of the Jews, you would go to Jerusalem. That's where the king is. But um, people have wondered through the years, what is this star? And can we identify what the star is? Well, here is um, an idea of what it might be. By the way, the word star in the original language is not, uh, does not, is not confined to what we call stars, but it's a heavenly body. So it can be used more generically as a heavenly body. So every 805 years, the planets Jupiter and Saturn come very close to one another. And uh, well, why is that significant? Well, Jupiter is the king of planets. It's the largest of the planets. It's the king planet. Uh, thus the name Jupiter uh, in the Roman pantheon. And Saturn is associated with the Jews. Why is that? Well, Saturn, Sabbath, the Jews are famous for their Sabbath and the way they set aside Sabbath for worship of God. And so it was associated with the Jews. So you have the king of planets coming together with the uh, planet that's associated with the Jews. Put it together. What do you get? The king of the Jews. So in 7 BC, three times actually during 7 BC, May, September, and December, Jupiter and Saturn were conjoined, were seen as together in the night sky over Babylon, modern-day Baghdad. So you do the math. You figure out, might that be the heavenly body, heavenly bodies, that these magi, these astrologers, these people who study the stars, study the sky, might that be what they saw, the king planet and the planet associated with Judaism together in the night sky and said, wow, there's a new king of the Jews born. Would these people in Babylon, in Baghdad, have been familiar with the Jews and the Jewish teachings? Absolutely. Jews had spent a um, hundred years in exile there, and many had never left. Many had not gone back to Israel uh, some six, some 500 years before, but had stayed in Babylon. And so uh, Jews were uh, prominent in what is modern-day Baghdad. So there you have it. In addition, the Chinese were very good about recording uh, comets. Uh, they give us great records of ancient comets. And um, comet number 52 passed from east to west in the night sky for 70 days in March and April of 5 BC. Is that part of this star, these uh, signs in the heavens that the Magi saw? Perhaps, perhaps that comet confirmed what had occurred in 7 BC, and the wise men went on their way and followed the star, the, in a sense, followed the comet in March or April of 5 BC over to, uh, to Israel to Jerusalem. Jesus, by the way, was likely not born in zero. That was a mistaken uh, date, but more likely born perhaps 5 BC. 
So uh, there you have it. Interesting uh, potential. However, bottom line, as I'll explain later, I don't believe that was the actual star, um, or at least all that's involved in the star of the story. And I'll show you why in a moment. Let's go back now, take a look at this story and pick up some other things. So we said these are magi. These are astrologers. These are people who study the stars. They're from the east, I would say, likely from Baghdad, modern-day Baghdad, ancient Babylon, where Jews still live. We talked about that. Uh, they saw his star. They saw the heavenly body that indicated that a new king would be born of the Jews. And then they go to Jerusalem. It's about a thousand-mile journey around the Fertile Crescent. You can't go straight uh, from um, Baghdad, Babylon, to Jerusalem because it's it's going straight through a thousand miles of desert. So you have to go around the Fertile Crescent. They go around the Fertile Crescent. It takes a couple of months to do that with your camels. And they wind up in Jerusalem. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Well, let's think about King Herod for just a moment. Um, you may know how this story ends with Herod killing some baby boys in Bethlehem and think how horrific that was. Well, for Herod, that was nothing. Herod um, was an exceptionally able ruler, was a tremendous builder in ancient times, but he was also, the longer he lived, the crazier he got, the more paranoid he got. He had 10 wives. He killed his favorite wife, uh, Miriam. He killed her grandfather. He killed her mother. He killed her brother-in-law. He killed three of his sons, not to mention many of his subjects. He drowned the high priest, uh, who happened to be his brother-in-law. Um, so this guy, uh, killing and murdering other people was nothing foreign to him. What, what's a couple boys in Bethlehem when he can murder all these people? In fact, when he realized he was sick unto death, he had um, his uh, leaders, uh, the leaders of his kingdom, gather all the Jewish leaders in a hippodrome in Jericho because he realized that when he died, there would be great uh, excitement and joy throughout the land. So he wanted to make sure there was mourning throughout the land when he died. So he gathered all these Jewish leaders in the Hippodrome in Jericho and gave orders that when he died, these Jewish leaders were all to be slaughtered so that there would be mourning throughout the land when he died. How's that? So what's a couple boys in Bethlehem to him? So, so important to the parents of these boys, but nothing to him. In any case, fortunately, once he died, that order was not carried out. Those Jewish leaders were not killed, and there was rejoicing in the land when Herod died. So that's Herod for you. So Herod, of course, gets these magi to come and wants to use them to get at Jesus because he wants to kill Jesus. Um, so uh, tells them, hey, let me, let me know where he is so I can go worship him too. In any case, after they heard the king, um, Matthew 2 verse 9 says, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose or in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, I don't know how it's possible that a normal comet or a normal conjunction of planets could lead them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But this verse specifically says the star went ahead of them until it stopped over the house where the child was. To me, that's got to be miraculous. So whether God used these other things, this Jupiter and Saturn conjunction of planets, this comet number 52, to lead them to Jerusalem, at some point here, uh, there was a miraculous occurrence where this star actually guided them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, six miles away, not very far, a couple hours, uh, by camel. 
and it led them right to the place where the child was. Notice that Jesus is a child by the time they get there. Uh, That is, uh, Jesus is not an infant. When Luke talks about the shepherds coming to see Jesus, Jesus is an infant. But when the wise men, or in this case, magi, uh, come to where the child was, it's a child. Different Greek word. It's not an infant. So this, the shepherds and the and the magi did not show up on the same day. Magi showed up at least a few months later, if not a year later. All right, that's kind of the word for a toddler. So six to twelve months kind of thing is what Jesus would have been when the magi showed up. They brought their treasures: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a king. Frankincense, interestingly enough, presented to this new king. Frankincense was incense. It was burnt to a deity, and so they were uh, acknowledging the deity of Jesus as they give him frankincense. And myrrh, the spice used to wrap someone once they have died, to wrap them in their shroud once they've died and be buried. I'm sure that uh, Jesus' parents were excited to get the gold, and the frankincense probably made them again confirm in their hearts that this was not a normal child, but a child uh, given by the Holy Spirit to Mary and to Joseph. And um, myrrh, probably they weren't so happy about. Why was this child being given myrrh? Well, we can see a prophecy in that gift, a prophecy that this child would one day die for the sins of the world, to be buried, uh, and then be raised again. So the myrrh kind of leads us from this account all the way to the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. All right. So um, that's kind of some insights into the story. What do we what do we do with this story for our lives? Well, as I look at the story, I see that Herod was very threatened by Jesus, enough that he wanted to kill Jesus. The Magi were delighted by Jesus. So the question I see for myself and for you as you listen to this, um, maybe you're listening to it around January 6th, around Epiphany, maybe not, is are you threatened by Jesus? Or are you delighted by Jesus? And uh, my first answer is, oh, I'm delighted by Jesus. I love Christmas. I love singing the songs, love singing the carols, the great joy of all the season. But let's think a little closer on this. Is Jesus a threat to me? Is he a threat to my career? Because I have to make adjustments in my career, your career, based on your faith in Jesus. Or if you're dating Uh, if that's the season of life you're in. Is Jesus a threat to you? Do you want to date someone and maybe it's not the person God has for you? Maybe the person's not a believer in Jesus who encourages you and strengthens you in your faith, but you really are drawn to this person. Is Jesus a threat to what you want to do? Do you have to set him aside? Or uh, what about um, if you're married? Is Jesus a threat to you? Uh, God's calling as husband or wife, to uh, to love, to sacrifice, to honor your spouse, uh, maybe that's difficult to do. And maybe sometimes you'd rather not do that because they get on your nerves and Jesus becomes a threat to you. Or is Jesus a threat in how you handle your finances? And Jesus calls us to handle finances a certain way, to honor him with our finances, to uh, give 10% to him, as a way of keeping him first in our lives, as a way of honoring him. Uh, I don't necessarily want to do that. So that's a threat to me. I need to set Jesus and his commands aside. Uh, What about other priorities that you have in life? Is Jesus a threat to those? Or some sin that, well, 
I'd almost rather not get rid of because you kind of enjoy it. Is Jesus a threat? So the more I think about it, my first reaction was I was delighted by Jesus because I'm delighted by Christmas. But the more I think about it, the more Jesus demands of my life. On the one hand, being a Christian costs nothing. That's the Christmas story, I suppose. On the other hand, being a Christian costs everything. It costs my career, my marriage, my money, my priorities, the sins that I hold dear. All of those things have to be rightly ordered as I follow Jesus. So what will Jesus be for you this year, a threat or a delight? I sense in this teaching here a calling in my own heart to repentance. To repentance, to a restoration of Jesus where he needs to be, uh, Lord of my life, and a rejoicing at what Jesus can accomplish in my life, will accomplish, his promises to accomplish in my life as he is ruling and reigning in my heart. So I'd encourage you to that uh, this year. As we close out, I want to encourage you to write us at eaglesonthehill211 at gmail.com. No spaces, dots, dashes, underscores. Just write us. Let us know uh, how your new year's going and what you'd like to hear about in terms of topics for the show. I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord, as uh, God says in Isaiah chapter 40, that those who hope in the Lord will fly on wings like eagles. Thanks for listening to this edition of the podcast.